Well, it's um, a great passage to be thinking about this morning. Let's um, pray for God's help as we come to think about it together. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that it's a word that speaks with power. And we thank you that it is a word that challenges us and encourages us. Help me to speak faithfully this morning and help each of us to have open hearts to hear what you want to say to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, um, it's sometimes said today that um, we live in an increasingly divided society. Have you heard that phrase used? Some of you are nodding, that's good. Um, uh, And some of that could be down to social media. So I I don't know how many of you are into Facebook or Instagram or um, Snapchat or whatever the latest thing is. Um, But one of the things it does is it it looks at what you're looking at. My wife explains to me yesterday. So um, it sees what you look at, what you spend time looking at, and then it gives you more of those things. So um, I was vaguely interested in a tablet, which I decided was not worth buying. But because I showed some interest in it, it keeps appearing on my um, Facebook stream and all other sort of things. Um, and keeps tempting me to sort of go for it, even though it's far too expensive and not worth it. <laughs> but actually, it does the same thing with the, the friends' posts you look at um, and the other posts you might look at. So it keeps feeding you with things that you like or you enjoy looking at. And you think, well, that's good, isn't it? Well, Yes, but the problem is that it gives you a narrower and narrower vision of the world. Um, It creates a kind of echo chamber, so you're only hearing the things that you want to hear. And that leads to division, because you have one group hearing one set of things and another group hearing another set of things, and sometimes those things are completely contradictory. So you get a greater sense of division over things like Brexit. Remember that. Or whether you should wear masks because of covid Or um, should you take the vaccine because of COVID? Or should you support Arsenal or Spurs? Um, Really important issues like that, you know, this sort of um, becomes divisions within society. And also on social media, people are more more willing to sort of say abusive things to one another because you're not face-to-face with the person. And that can create even greater tensions and difficulties. But I wonder actually if our society is really that divided If you went back to John's time, there was much um, greater division um, within society. Maybe you see it as Roman versus Jew. Um, uh, In AD 30, which is about the time that um, John the Baptist was preaching and Jesus started his ministry, um, or maybe a a bit earlier than that, um, the the tension really in that area was between Roman and Jew. Um, The Romans, of course, were the people in charge. They had the power, they had the army, they had the military. They were the ones collecting the taxes. Um, And the Jews were the ones that were oppressed. There was this kind of um, rulers versus oppressed. You might these days sort of say the metropolitan elite versus the poor people in the coastal towns. I don't know, whatever you want to say. Um, There's that feeling, a very strong feeling. And, of course, it was a sort of racial divide as well, wasn't it? Because the Romans were, were, were Gentiles, they were, they were non-Jews, but the Jewish people saw themselves as descended from Abraham and, and properly Jewish and properly God's people. And it was a religious divide. They were the, ones, the Jews were the ones that worshipped in the temple, the proper worship of the true God, and the Romans, well, they, they worshipped pagan gods in all sorts of weird and wonderful temples doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things. There was an increasing division, an increasing tension within society. And it was a very real tension, because within 40 years of the Gospels, when the Gospels were talking about, that blew up into a civil war between Jewish nationalists and Romans. And it was horrendous. 
the Romans came down powerfully. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Jerusalem itself was destroyed. Many people, many, many people died. Division led to all sorts of problems. And you may say, well, what, why are you telling us about this? What's this got to do with our passage? Well, I think in a way our passage is actually talking about divisions. John the Baptist is talking about divisions, and yet the divisions that he talks about are completely different to the divisions that people saw in the world of the time. John was much more concerned with this ultimate spiritual division than he was about the political, racial, or religious divisions going around. Let's have a look at what John says. First of all, John begins his sermon in an interesting way. I, I don't know what kind of way you like preachers to begin their sermons. Um, I mean, a lot of preachers try and begin with a sort of a silly joke. I don't tend to do that because I can never find enough jokes to, to use. But, um, you know, you go to some churches, every week it's a, it's a joke to start with and it, it lures you in. I, I tend to sort of try and start with something that's sort of vaguely relevant or, lo- or pe- people's understanding. You, we try and start in a sort of gentle, relaxed way. That's the way preachers usually start today. Is that fair? Um, look how John starts his sermon. You brood of vipers! I don't know. Um, yeah, it tells how it is. It's, it's quite hard-hitting, isn't it? It's quite harsh. Um, and he, he comes in with a big punch. And what does he mean by brood of vipers? Well, brood means a group of children. Um, that, you know, I've got four kids. They're my brood, if you like. Um, and by saying voodoo vipers, well, vipers is a snake, um, and snakes, of course, go back to Genesis 3, the snake represents Satan. He, he's saying to them, you're children of Satan. Now, these people were Jewish people that worshipped in the temple. They suddenly wouldn't see themselves as Satanists or spiritualists or anything like that. But the Bible actually says that, you know, people that have rejected God, they're actually doing exactly the same thing as Adam and Eve did. They're following the ways of Satan without even realizing it. And John's saying to them, look, you're coming to me as Jewish people. You're coming to me as people that worship in the temple. You're coming to me as people descended from Abraham. You see your identity as Jewish, as God's people, but actually in your hearts, you don't want to do what God wants. You don't want to live God's ways. You're following Satan's ways. And John's not just saying this to offend them. It's not like those people on Facebook and Twitter and stuff that are just abusive. He's saying it because he wants them to see that the more important division that really matters. The division that really matters for them is not between Jew and Roman. The division that matters is what's going on in your heart. What's your relationship with God? And he's calling them to repent. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of saying, I want to change my allegiance. I don't want to follow Satan's ways anymore. I want to follow God's ways and live for God. I want to switch sides, if you like, jump over the division. And he makes it clear that it's not that being Jewish isn't enough. He goes on um, in verse 8 to say, um, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, don't, don't, don't rely on your, your racial identity and think that puts you right with God. God, he says, can raise up children from these stones for Abraham. 
No, what matters is your heart attitude to God. Have you chosen to truly follow him? And for us today, there is a danger that we can be people that think, oh, I come to church and I identify as a Christian, or I've been christened at some point, or you know, I've been brought up a Christian, or I live in a Christian country, and I, I put tick Christian on the census or whatever. John says that's not enough. Is your heart truly God's child? Have you turned and trusted in him? And actually what John is saying here about um, the fact that God can raise sons of Abraham or children of Abraham out of stones, he's also saying that it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you think you have to be if you think of yourselves as religious or not. It doesn't matter if you come from another religion or another background or a very atheistic family. You can become a child of Abraham in the sense of becoming like him in trusting in God and following God. You see, John is creating a whole new way of looking at the world that creates a new kind of division, a division that's about our hearts and our attitudes. There's also a division about the end of time and what is coming. You see, I think John's calling us to be Christ people and not a cult people. Let me explain a bit more what's going on here, what I mean by that. Um, you see, some people were reluctant to become Christians because they don't want to be too drawn in and they worry about being caught up in a kind of cult. They might think all churches are a bit like being a cult. Uh, and cults do exist, don't they? You may have heard of different groups or cults and, and they can be very um, abusive and horrible places to be a part of. And we need to think, what's the difference between a church and a cult? Um, in a cult, a cult encourages people to be disconnected with the world around them so that they're only connected with the community of the cult. And they often have a, a, a charismatic leader who demands loyalty to, it's usually himself, I'm not sure if it's a female version, but a female example, but to himself rather than to anyone else. And that's not what we're called to be. Let's look at what John's saying a bit more here. He, he talks later on in the passage about someone coming after him. I mean, John the Baptist is someone that people are coming to from all over the place to hear. He's the most popular preacher of the day. He, he's the Billy Graham of the day, if you like. You know, he's one everyone wants to hear. If you had a sort of um, countdown of who the, who the top preachers were of the day, he would be number one. And yet look what he says about the one coming after him, i.e. Jesus. He says he's not worthy to untie the thongs from his sandal. That seems a strange thing to say, doesn't it, to us? I don't know. Do you spend a lot of time thinking about thongs on sandals? Why does he say that? Well, it may be that, that, that because there's a rabbi saying going around, and there's some evidence of this, that, um, that said, look, the Jewish rabbis, the Jewish teachers, and they would have disciples, people that would follow them around and listen to their teaching and learn their teaching, uh, and they'd become a bit like um, sort of servants to them as well, and they'd be expected to act like servants to them. Um, and yet they, 
they decided there were some things that would, would be, wouldn't be right for um, a disciple to do for their master. Uh, and one of those things was to untie the thongs on a sandal. In other words, to untie the thongs on a sandal was seen as too demeaning a thing for a disciple to do for their master. Look at what John says. He doesn't say that this guy is so great that it would be all right for me to untie his thongs. He's saying this guy is so great that I'm not even worthy to untie his thongs. Do you get the sense of, of how much greater and more awesome and more authoritative and more wonderful, more amazing, more powerful, more mighty saying that Jesus is than him? It's a bit like comparing um, your primary school's first 11 football team with the England national team. There's no comparison. There's no comparison between Jesus and the best preacher, the best teacher you could ever think of. There's no comparison between Jesus and the greatest Christian leader or bishops or archbishops or popes or anything else. Jesus is so much beyond and above them because he's the Christ and he's so powerful that he's the one that gives the Holy Spirit. He's God's with us as we learn at Christmas. And do you see why it's so important to understand that as, as the way John puts it? So John, people are coming to John and thinking, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? You're so wonderful. You're so amazing, John. You're so great. And, and for John, that must have been an incredible temptation. It's crazy isn't it, when people love you and want to, to follow you and, and do what you say and so on. For him, that must have been an incredible temptation to sort of take on a sort of roll over them and control them. But he says, no. You need to follow Jesus and follow him and, and touch him. And do you see how that's different to how a cult leader would act? A cult leader would say, great, you love me, then do what I say. Follow me, be committed to me. A proper Christian leader will never do that. A proper Christian leader will constantly point people to the one who is greater, to Jesus. And say, follow him. Commit your lives to him. Trust in him. He's not any old ordinary Christian leader. He's God with us. Your creator come to save you. So do you see that actually being Christ's people is not being part of a cult. It's not about being committed to a human leader. It's being committed to Christ, to his God, and so, so different. But also... There's an issue here about division, going back to the issue of division. When we think about division, we often think about separation. And one of the problems with cults is that they say to people, look, now you're part of our cult, that you should loosen your ties or, or lose your ties with the rest of your family or your friends. And we'll see that John's not saying that. But John says, look, there will be a separation, but the separation is not now. Separation will come at the end of time. And Christ will be the one that does the separation. Um, he says um, in verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Anyone here ever done any um, winnowing? No, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, if, if you lived in a sort of agricultural pre-industrial society, which you don't, 
before Facebook, you know, that sort of thing. Um, then winnowing will be very familiar to you. You see, the issue is that you go out and you're collecting the crops of the wheat, um, and as you're collecting the wheat, you're also collecting lots of other bits of leaves and so on that are, are sort of stuck to the, to, the, to, the, to the grains themselves. And you don't want all those, those bits and pieces because that will just ruin the food. It's called chaff. Um, so you need to somehow separate the chaff from the wheat. Now, I preached this at St. George's this morning, and someone came up to me and said, there's another thing about um, you have to beat the wheat first, so it breaks up the wheat from the chaff as well. But once you've done that, then you do the winnowing. And what you do is you, you have some sort of thing where you, you, you throw the wheat and the chaff up in the air together. And because the wheat's heavier than the chaff, the wheat drops to the bottom and the chaff rises to the top or gets blown away by the wind. So you separate out the wheat from the chaff. You end up with the, the, the stuff you want, the wheat that you can store away and use for, to make bread and eat properly, and the chaff, which is just rubbish, you throw away, you burn or whatever. And John says this is an image of the end of time. This is the image of Christ when he comes in judgment. You see, we all long, don't we? Um, just as the people then were longing for a world where there's no oppression, where there's no wickedness, where there's no evil. But for such a world to happen, you can only have people that are willing to accept God's rule. To say to God, your will be done, not mine. And those that refuse to do that can't really be part of a world where there is no wickedness, no evil, no righteousness. And so the world has to be separated out. And they will be taken away. And it says, thrown into unquenchable fire. Maybe it's a picture of hell. Maybe it's a picture of permanent um, separation from God's goodness and love. God says to them, you say, not my will, but your will be done, then your will, your will be done. Go your own way. Go away from me. There will be a separation at the end of time. And that's a warning to us that we need to repent now to make sure that we become wheat and not chaff. It also means that that separation is not for now, it's for later. The division between those that are followers of God and those aren't does not mean that we separate ourselves off from the rest of the world. It does not mean that we separate ourselves off from family, like you might get in a cult. It does not mean that you separate yourself off from friends or you change your job. God may call you to different specific things at some point in your life, but that's not the general rule for Christians. The general rule, if you read, for example, 1 Corinthians 7, is that you, you stick with where you're at. You stick with the family you've got, you stick with the job you've got, but you live it differently. The call for now, with this new division, is not to be separated, but to be distinctive. Not to be chaff, but to be wheat. Not to be fruitless, but to be fruitful. Um, John uses another image that's um, similar to the wheat and chaff one in verse um, 9. He says, um, The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He's saying, look, if, if, you, if, you, if you're truly committing yourself to God, then that will show itself in fruitful lives. He talks in a previous verse about um, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And you think, what does that look like? 
Well, John's talked about this big picture. He talks, talks about these amazing things. He talks about um, this great division at the end of time. He talks about the need for a, a complete um, realignment of our hearts away from being a brood of vipers to being children of God. Um, these are big pictures. These are amazing, awesome pictures. And then people say to him, well, what should we do? And what he says feels completely anticlimactic and, and completely mundane, and yet in a way that is the point. They say to him, what should we do? And in verse 10 he says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has, has food should do the same. So, but wait a minute, we've been talking about these big eternal pictures, we've been talking about these spiritual issues, and John reduces it down to, what do you do with your coat? What do you do with your food? See, John is saying not that we should separate ourselves off from the rest of the world as Christians, but actually we should live distinctive lives, and those distinctive lives will be lives of generosity rather than greed. Because we've become children of a God who is generous to us, a God who is gracious to us, a God who loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. If we are truly children of that kind of God, then we will live our lives distinctively and different by being generous and gracious and kind and loving to the people around us. And that's what John means when he calls us to fruit of repentance. That is the kind of fruitful tree that we're meant to be. That's what it means to be wheat and not chaff. A distinctive life arising from a heart that has realigned itself with God's. And, and John makes it clear that this is the division that really matters and the other divisions don't matter. And we see that in his, his next response because it says that um, even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Now, remember that I told the big, big division in the time, at the time was between the Romans and the Jews. Well, the, well, the, Jews were tax, were, the tax collectors were Jewish, but they were working for the Romans. Basically, the Romans, rather than having sort of a, their own people going around and collecting taxes, they sort of privatized it. So they, they set up local companies that would, would do the work for them, but they promised that if there's any problems, the army would be there to help them out. So Jewish people thought, this is a great way to make money. Um, we'll become tax collectors for the Romans. We'll go around and collect the taxes, go, go from village to village, whatever, um, set up a, a booth and trading points and so on. We'll take the money off the people, we'll give it to the Romans, and we'll get rich in that way. And so these tax collectors were people working for the Roman authorities. And so if you were, if you were a Jewish nationalist longing for Romans' power to be overturned, then, then what would you say to these tax collectors? You would say, stop working for the Romans, wouldn't you? But John doesn't say that. He says, carry on being a tax collector. Carry on what you're doing, but do it differently. See, most tax collectors would use the fact that they got the threat of the Romans behind them to say, you know, the Romans want 10% of your income, give me 12%, and I'll keep the extra bit. And that's how they got really rich. It was an attitude of greed. But John says to them, become God's people. Become generous, not greedy. Take what you have to take because that's what the Romans demand, but don't take any more. Just take the 10%. 
Don't be into making yourself rich. Be into being God's people who have changed hearts. You see, the division between Roman and Jew didn't matter that much. John wasn't concerned about the politics of the time. He was concerned about the hearts of the people. And, and the same with the soldiers that also mentioned. These are probably soldiers that were, were Jewish soldiers working for Herod, who was the sort of puppet king in the area for the Romans. Um, and again, they would have used the, their, their power over people to extort money. as a sort of greedy attitude they would use. And again, John doesn't tell them to stop being soldiers. But he tells them to stop being greedy. To be content with their pay. Not to extort people. The question for all of us is, where do we see divisions in our world? Divisions within our society. There are all kinds of divisions. But the division that really matters is where we stand with God. Have we repented? Have we switched from the world which says, follows Satan and says to God, not your will, God, but mine? Have we switched to be God's children? Will we say to God, not my will, but yours? Have we be switched from being people that... Um, are fruitless to being fruitful? Do we switch from being chaff whose eternal future is going nowhere to being wheat where we'll be God and Christ forevermore in joy and wonder? Have we repented? Have we changed sides? Have we understood the division that really matters? Let's um, pray. Father, we thank you for John's teaching. It, it is challenging teaching. He doesn't pull his punches. And yet he clarifies the real issues for us. Well, for those that are here today that maybe haven't made that choice to turn to you and trust in you and want to follow you with their lives. I pray that maybe you would open their hearts now to consider that choice, to make that step, to realign their hearts to you. And for those of us that have chosen to follow you, help us to be reminded of what it means to live a life that is following you, that is fruitful. Help us to constantly turn away from those temptations to greed and to have generous hearts. That we may be the kind of people that are distinctive and following you. In your name we pray. Amen.